Good morning, City Church. While you're standing on your feet, why don't you put your hands together one more time for the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for your love for us, your grace for us, your word for us today. And we pray that it opens our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see with the eyes you see, to love the way you love. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn and give someone five high fives or maybe five different people. Work that out yourself. And uh, you can be seated. Thank you, team, for leading us in worship this morning. Uh, We are so blessed by your passion, your exuberance, your gift that you are giving to build the kingdom. Uh, We are so thankful and grateful for each one of you. The work you do on the platform and the work you do off it in order to uh, come prepared to service that way. Well, I'm a bit disappointed uh, that that Pastor Ben uh, just gave me the title as friend. I actually thought we'd gone a lot further than that because I would call him a brother. And it's good, it's good, it's a good to get to know where you stand in the relationship moment, it's, it's good. See, we support the same football team, and for a long time we've been cellar dwellers. If you're not familiar with that term, we have been on the bottom of the ladder for a long time, but I tell you what, just like we celebrated Easter with the coming back of Jesus Christ, there is a resurgence coming in the heart of the Newcastle Knights. I tried to connect it with Jesus so that you'd ride that one out with me, but you really yeah, you didn't. I want to, uh, on behalf of my wife, uh, C, and myself, I want to thank uh, you guys as a church for your faithful commitment to what you do in, in uh, seeing the gospel advance, be it in the Philippines or in the multiple other areas that you uh, consistently and faithfully sow into, Youth Alive being one of those areas. Uh, Youth Alive is a very simple vision, and that is to reach a generation of young people who are yet to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, out of that generation to raise leaders that will enter into every sphere of life, and to resource youth ministries and churches to be able to act out the first two. And through your consistent and faithful giving, we've been able to do that for over 36 years. You may not have been participating in that for that time, but that's how long Youth Alive has been around for actually 37 years now. And, uh, and the vision continues because we are desperate to see a, a generation. And this is the thing, the gospel is prevalently available in Australia, that we know. What you may not know or have experience is the need for every new generation that comes through to hear that gospel for the very first time. So the gospel might be everywhere and available, but unless the next generation is hearing that, then there becomes a gap and that gap can easily widen out until we have a nation that is no longer represented by people coming through that are hearing the message of hope that is in Jesus Christ, the message of freedom, the message of purpose, the message of love and grace. That's what Youth Alive's all about, building the local church to be able to do that on a local level and be able to do that on a state level. And so I just want to thank you personally and, uh, and I am committed to continuing in the role of leading our state in order to see the generation uh, that God has put his handprint on. And that's a wonderful thing to consider about the generation coming through. Yes, you might see all of the things that's different about them in their expression of themselves and think, wow, we didn't live life that way. I'm telling you, God has put his handprint, his fingerprint on this generation coming through life. And he will do greater things than has ever been done in the generations that follow if we continue to believe in them the way he believes in them. So I'm very excited about that. I'm very excited about the work in the Philippines and in every other space that you have to see the gospel go forward. Can I tell you this this morning? Wherever the gospel goes, life gets better. 
If the gospel goes into the home, if, if, a, if, if a father in a home receives the gospel of Jesus Christ, life gets better for the children in that home. If a mother receives the gospel somewhere in the Philippines, life gets better for the community that she's a part of. Wherever the gospel goes, life gets better. Our responsibility is to continue to take the gospel forward and God will do the work in homes and in communities in order to make things better. So all of that was just the start of my, uh, my passion and my excitement. So if we can just wind that clock back for another five minutes, um, that wasn't included. Hey, I'm really excited to be sharing the word with you guys today. I've got this word in and on my heart and uh, we're going to get straight into it this morning. You know, uh, all of us have a way. Uh, it's a very simple way of describing what we do, uh, maybe subconsciously, without thinking, that just comes out as our normal. All of us have a way. You might see this if you're a parent and your children are in school. Your children, when they come home from school, probably have a way. The door bursts open. They come in with a bit of a whirlwind, a bag in my home. Bags get chucked on this side. And then there is a trail of clothing. The shoes come off first, the school uniform in different order gets, comes off, but it's all leading somewhere. Where is that leading to? The kitchen. There's a trail of clothing. The bag comes off, then the shoes come off, the socks come off, the pants come off, the shirt comes off, all the way, and there you'll find them all huddled around the fridge and, the, uh, and, and just the, the food. All of us have this subconscious way. It's the thing that we don't have to be told to do. It's just the thing that we do. Uh, because my eldest son, uh, will need, none of my children are here this morning. I can talk about them. My uh, son, Oscar, he's going to turn 16 in a week. And uh, we're about to enter the next uh, phase of parenting as he goes for his license and that stage. I'm very excited about it. <laughs> my my, my 16-year-old teenage son, Oscar, he's got to wait. His way is, if he has an appointment where he has to be, he's got a uh, part-time job working at Gloria Jeans. His way is that regardless of the time that he has to start at work, he will leave the minimum amount of time that he has to be out of bed before that shift starts. So if he's got a 6am or a 7am or an 8am or a 9am and even an 11am start, he will be out of bed in the shortest time period it takes, but to get ready, have a shower and be out the door to walk in at 10.57 so he can clock on for his 11. We all have a way. You know, Aussies, we really have a way. And that can be expressed through many different things. But I've discovered this about Aussies. What we love is we love when someone gets passionate about something that we don't think is that important. <laughs> if we find someone who is passionate about something that we don't think that is, is that important, we will swoop straight in on that, on the area that we're going to poke in their life. And I'll tell you what, there is no greater form of passion with irrelevance than those who are both CrossFitters and vegans. <laughs> we, we just love to poke fun at people in these categories. We, don't put up your hand if you fit into either of those. So we'll say things like this. What is the most challenging thing in life for a CrossFitter, uh, for a vegan who does CrossFit? What's the most challenging thing for a, a vegan who does CrossFit? Well, that is knowing which one to talk about first. I've got nothing against 
vegans or CrossFitters, I, I, I love it all. It's just that we love to poke fun at people that, that really get serious about something that we don't think is that serious at all. In Coffs Harbour, we've got, uh, as you would hear in, in Blue Mountains, you've got different subcultures. I think some of the subcultures that exist in this uh, room this morning are the lycra-wearing, 4am, getting up in the morning, cyclists. <laughs> we got any? We got any? You can normally tell them by their gaunt faces, um, do we? And their highly toned calf muscles. Cyclists and uh, in Coffs Harbour, we got we got surfers. So we've got uh, a mission that we support in Coffs Harbour called Christian Surfers. And uh, I tell you what, every now and again, just like uh, we heard this morning, the report of uh, Philippines, and you're going to hear about that more in a couple of weeks, we'll get our Christian surfers guys to come up and give a bit of a testimony of, of what's been going on in the world of Christian surfers in Coffs Harbour. And I, I am dead set, I, I'm going to put an interpreter up for these guys. I know they are speaking in English, but the way they are forming their words, they may as well be speaking in another language. They'll get up and say, oh, thanks so much, guys. I tell you what, we're leading a group of grommets that are totally frothing on Jesus. They are dropping into everything that he has for them. The whole congregation sitting there, what? We, we, we all have a way. We all have a normal that unless, you know, we're sort of, someone sort of calls it out in us, we'll just continue on in our normal. It's what's become our pattern and our pathway. In Mark chapter 12, and some of you are saying, well, about time you start talking about the Bible. Here we are this morning. In Mark chapter 12, a religious leader of the day comes to Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, Jesus, what is the most important commandment? Or if I can say it to you this way this morning, a, a leader in what is understood as the church of that day comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, tell me about your way. Tell me about the interpretation you have of the way. Now, instead of going straight to the law that is given, Jesus turns the attention away. Now, you have to capture this this morning. Instead of just talking about what the next thing that he has to do, the next application he needs to put his life to, instead of giving him the do, Jesus turns his attention straight away, not to the law, but to the lawgiver. Mark chapter 12, verse 29, Jesus says this, before he answers, he says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Now, what does it mean that the Lord our God is one. And why would Jesus be so uh, intent or intentional about steering this man's um, attention away from the do to the who? See, what the, the word one that Jesus used there has very little to do with a numerical uh, understanding. He's not talking about Jesus being one as what you might count to one, two, three, although it was in a time where uh, there was multiple gods that the other nations worshipped. That's not actually what it's talking about. See, what Jesus is saying when he says the Lord your God is one, he's saying this, you know what, you serve a God that nothing can be added to. When he says there that the Lord your God is one, he's saying you serve a God that nothing can be taken away from. You, you serve a God that is perfect. He is complete in every way. He is one. Meaning this, God doesn't need anything from you to form his identity. 
God doesn't need anything from you. What's that you're asking me about my way? Jesus speaking, he's saying, listen, before I tell you about what you think the most important thing to do is, you need to know this. You can't add anything to God. You can't take anything away from him. God doesn't need you to form his identity. He does not need you to fulfill his purpose. What this means for us that are following Jesus Christ today is that we don't need to live our lives in an attempt to hold up a standard of morality that somehow wins us favor with God. Friends, I want to release you this morning by telling you this. Your actions and behaviors cannot let God down because you do not hold God up. God is complete. He is one. He is perfect. What does this mean for you today? It means that God is able to give everything of himself to you because there is nothing that you can give back to him that has a self-fulfilling agenda behind his intention for loving you. I said that in the most complex way that you could ever imagine. Let me try again. God can give himself fully to you wholeheartedly to you, without an agenda, because there is nothing you or I can do that is going to build or increase who he is. God lives in a perfect state of existence. And what's so amazing about this God in his perfect state of existence is that in that place, he did not remove himself from us. He wholeheartedly connected himself to us. Jesus is our full revelation that there is a complete God, a perfect God, who isn't driven by a desire to be worshipped as a need to be fulfilled. Rather, he is a God that knows very best what, what is the very best for your life. And so his command for us to wholeheartedly worship him doesn't come so that he will be fulfilled, but rather so that we will be fulfilled. In Jesus Christ, we have not just a way, we have the way. So let's talk about what this one way that Jesus has given us looked like. See, none of us would doubt whatsoever that Jesus lived in complete love towards his Father. What's interesting about Jesus is that you won't read about him expressing his love for God through anything that could be perceived as ritual or tradition. This is really important because at the time that Jesus came to the earth, everything that humanity did in expression for love for God could be summed up by ritual and tradition. What you will read over and over again, if you find yourselves in what we in the church, we call them the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, that is the eyewitness testimony of Jesus' life. What you'll find in Jesus' interaction with those who lived according to ritual and tradition is a complete contempt. Jesus showed complete contempt to the... What does that mean? It means Jesus completely disregarded Tradition and ritual as what mattered most in the eyes of God. Because see, what happened was we had people, there was people that were living in those days that was elevating the ritual and tradition above what Jesus saw what really mattered. Let me read you about some of this. Matthew chapter 15. Jesus was a nice man. And as a nice man, he also lived with a lane in front of him that he did not deviate from. 
That will give you some context to what I'm about to read. Matthew 15 on the screen. Some Pharisees and religious, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law, if you're not familiar with that, let's just say the leaders of the, the people at that time now arrived from Jerusalem to see Jesus. They asked him, why do your disciples disobey our age-old tradition? Jesus, we know that an expression of love for God has always been revealed in the, in the way we do these things. Why did they do it? Why? They ignore our tradition of ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Now, most of us wouldn't have a clue what these age-old, age-old traditions are, so let's simplify it and just say these people had a way a way of doing things that they directly connected or believed was their connection to God. They believed their rituals, their traditions, the things that they did without thinking set them in right standing with God. But here's the most important thing. They also believed that those who did not obey those rituals and traditions were outside of God's favor and love. Listen to what Jesus says in response. He's a very nice man, remember? Matthew chapter 15, verse 7 says, You hypocrites! God bless you. (laughs) Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. There was a man who lived over 400 years ago and he talked about you guys. He could perceive the future and this is what he said about you. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship, God, Jesus must have been an Aussie. I love this word. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. You know what worship is? Worship is an external expression of an internal adoration. Humans can only ever see the external expression. All God cares about is the internal adoration. Jesus saw the state of their internal adoration and he called their external expression a farce. What does that mean? It means it's completely fake, meaning that they had no genuine love for God, meaning their efforts were worthless and meaningless in the eyes of God. Sometimes in a service like this, you just have to get a little bit deep, deep, deep. We're going to come out of this in a moment, but please don't bail out in this moment. You're about to be set free, I believe, this morning into the very purpose that God has you on this earth for. Jesus said this to the crowds. We're not coming out of it yet. Just take a breath. We're going deep again. He said this about those people. Practice and obey whatever they tell you, but don't follow their example for they don't practice what they teach. Their way was not the way God intended for people to connect with him. Jesus came with a whole new way of expressing worship, a new way of expressing love, expressing love for God, a new way of revealing that our lives are connected with God or the way we connect with God has got nothing to do, and this remains true today, nothing to do with ritual or tradition. John 14, 31 says this, I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So out of obedience, what does Jesus do? He puts his life on a cross. Here's the question. Did God the Father benefit from the obedience of Jesus? The interpretation that I can see that's just hanging in your mind for a moment, the understanding that we have of this is that God loved the world, that he sacrificed everything and gave his only son. Did God benefit from the obedience of Jesus? No, he did not. It cost him everything. Who benefited from the obedience of Jesus? We did. 
We are the ones who benefited from what Jesus outworked in his obedience. See, this is what the picture is now starting to form. Any form of obedience that you and I have in relation to God is always going to be something that isn't coming from a motivation of build to build God because we can't. Rather, it becomes an obedience to God which builds others. John 13, 34 and 35. So now I give you a new commandment, Jesus says. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. You know what I love that Jesus said? Didn't say, he didn't say, friends, when you make sure that you are at a service every single Sunday. Now I'm a pastor of a church as well, and I want you to be in the house of God every single Sunday because I know it's beneficial for you. But friends, we can't get sucked into a trap to ever think that be, Being in this space is the tick of our soul before God in thinking that we have arrived at the the climax of our spirituality. In fact, Jesus would like to completely strip that away so that you never feel like you have to be here, but rather you can't wait to be here because you want to be filled with his spirit again and again and again so that you might live the life that he's called you to live, not in these walls, but rather outside of them. The world will know that you are my disciples, not by the way that you gather together, but by the way they experience the fruit of that gathering. So here it is, packaged in a nice, simple way. The expression of a life of faith in God isn't revealed in our behavior towards God. It's revealed in our obedience to God, which will always outwork itself in love for others. You know what's interesting? Jesus never commanded that we love him. I proposed to my now wife when we were both 18 years old. And when you're 18, getting rejected in an engagement proposal is just too much for one soul to bear. So I decided when I was 18, I wasn't going to ask C, my now wife, to marry me. I just decided I'm going to tell her to marry me. And I'm going to tell her that when she marries me, she's going to love me with her whole heart, her whole mind, her bo- everything. And she's going to like it. I'm just going to command that. It's ridiculous to talk about love in a way that can be commanded. You can command obedience, or I'll rephrase that. You can command function, but obedience and love is something that is an overflow of the soul. Jesus never commanded that we love him, but he constantly said this, if you love me. He said, I can't command that you love me, but I can tell. (laughs) John 14, 15, if you love me, obey my commandments. It's easy. My commandments are not heavy. They're not burdensome. My commandments are actually what's going to fulfill you. And if you love me, this will be a natural overflow. It goes on to say, or in that same chapter, just a few verses above, those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Further down, John 14, 23, all who love me will do what I say. Listen to this, friends. You can have an expression of love for people without loving God, but it is impossible to love God without having an expression of love for people. We have, the church, friends, we have one way. Our way is to live with the love of God overflowing in our lives. And the way it will be revealed is not in the way we raise our hands, 
but in the way we give of whatever is in our hands for the people that God has placed around us. 1 John 4, 7 to 10, dear friends, let us continue to love one another for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. This isn't talking about an expression of love for God. This is talking about people. But anyone who does not love who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Verse 9, God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Just dropping it in again, our love for God cannot save us. It's God's love for us that saves us. But when we read on to the next couple of verses, just a few down in 19, it says this. Our love for others is our grateful response to the love God first demonstrated to us. How do we know the love of God? Well, the natural overflow of yours and my life is a love for others. You know what? The church of Jesus Christ should actually be the most irresistible place on earth. Not because of what we can create in a service environment or just because of what we can create in a service environment. Because it should be filled with people that are so consumed by the love of God that it is overflowing as a natural response to whoever comes into our world. Sometimes when we think about church, we think about what takes place in a service environment on Sunday. Friends, let me encourage you this morning, please. Let this be the place that you get to come to, not ever have to come to. And please never restrict your expression of connection with God to just what takes place in here on a Sunday. Let this be the space where you get filled up and overflow into your Monday to Saturday. So I've got one simple thought that you can take away with you today. I hope that revelation has sunk into your heart and there's enough word in there for you to see that this is not an idea of man. This is God's expression of love on this earth. Here's the one simple thought that I have for you today. It doesn't matter what age you are in this room. Every single person will be able to connect with this. And I believe this is the command of God for you today. As you walk out of this building and you say, well, how do I show the expression of love? This is what you do. You walk out of this building and you do, get ready to write this down. This will help you. You do whatever you want. I just want you to be free in the house of God this morning to know that when you walk out of this building, there is not a burden waiting for you out those doors because you can walk out those doors and you can just do whatever you want. See, when I started going to youth ministry uh, for the very first time, I was 13 years old and I was very shy. My mother made me go along and I thank her now for that. But in that moment of going along as a 13-year-old, it was very challenging for me because I was very shy. I had no other friends who were in that space. I went along with my older brother. Thankfully, he also had no friends. (laughs) So he needed me as much as I needed him. And so we tagged along with each other, each telling others that he was tagging along with me. And he was saying, well, I was tagging along with him. I remember this one time at at youth where the leaders pranked the students and the way they did this is they burst into our rooms early morning, like 5.30 a.m. on a Saturday morning after a late youth night. And they came in with a camera and uh, one of those old ones where you actually had to put the tape inside and hold. Anyway, and they came in with water pistols 
And they woke us up with super soakers. Just you imagine waking up in that state. The light goes on. They've got spotlight flashlights on our face and then the cameras in our face and they're asking us questions. What do you think about the prime minister? What's the best thing about fashion today? And all of these questions of which that, I don't know how to answer those questions even now in my life. Let alone at 5.30 a.m. as a 14-year-old. Just in, and so you, it made for great television. And so we're all sitting there in the next week at Youth on Friday Night and they start to play this video and the room is in hysterics. They've got so many different people. I was sitting there dreading the moment that I knew that my face at some point was going to appear on that video and, and I was actually dreading that moment. I was sitting there like getting that sort of angst and here it comes around and then people are just laughing. The whole room's in hysterics. All then, it's, you know, the camera it goes to the next shot and here I am on the screen and as soon as I came up on the screen, you just heard the room just went silent. Silence enough for me to hear more than one person say, who's that? (laughs) When I was a little bit later that year, I got my first job working at McDonald's. I remember walking in when I was 14, so I'm 38 years old now, and sometimes people tell me that I look young for my age or whatever, but when you're 14 and people tell you that you look younger than what you are, There's no encouragement in that. I remember walking in as a 14-year-old and I was on one of my first couple of shifts and three of the older uh, workers that were still teenagers but in that sort of 18, 17, 19 age group, they came as a group and they asked me my age and I said I was 14 and one of them was like, ah, darn it. I'm like, what are you talking about? And they said, oh, we just had a guessing competition to see how old you were and I thought you were 12. Thanks, guys. It's great to be here. When I was 22 years old, I started youth pastoring. And at that stage, I had a few connections with people around our state, but not many. But I got sent down to uh, an event that happens to even be in the uh, ministry that my wife and I now lead in Youth Alive. And I went off to Sydney. I went by myself and I checked into the hotel that I was staying in by myself. And I knew very few people into the, in the space that I was entering into as far as youth ministry goes. I knew the, the key leader. He was the one who, you know, sort of helped me get down there. But he's obviously off doing all the things that need to be done for the night. And I go into this meeting and you could see the room where it was supposed to be because there was about 10 people at the door, five on each side, ready to work welcome me in. And what an inviting environment that looked like as I approached it. Smiles on their faces. They were more excited to see me than I was to see them, which is good. And so they, you know, lifted my spirits. And I called this the tunnel of love. I was heading. I was, it was like a vortex sucking me right in. I head towards the tunnel of love, and as I get there, they all, yay, they're so excited to see me. They give me a big cheer, smile on my face. I high-five on this side, get a hug on this side, pats on the back the whole way through. And I tell you what, as quickly as that tunnel of love started, it finished. I was spat out on the other side, and on the other side, there was a room with a couple of hundred people, all of which, at that time, I had no idea who they were. And the the tunnel of encouragement and love, I I turned back to look, and they were looking the other way, getting ready to welcome in the next unsuspecting victim. (laughs) 
I looked around the room and, and when I came through because of the raucousness at the door, I saw people all in these little groups talking together turn around to look and they saw me, my eyes saw them, they realized they didn't know me, I already knew I didn't know them and they turned around and went back to their group. And now I'm standing in a room full of other youth pastors and I'm sort of looking around and I'm, and I'm like that awkward guy. And so I moved over to where the awkward guy goes and that's where they're serving the water in the plastic cups. <laughs> what a welcoming environment we've got here at Youth Alive. <laughs> Please smile with me, people. I'm obviously carrying some hurts that I need help with today. <laughs> I made it through that, that night and at the end of the night, I just remember people hearing people talking about where they were going off to after the service. And, 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 and I know that in me at that time, I wanted someone to invite me into that space. It didn't happen. I went quite happily, went back and did my own thing in my room and went home the next day and so on. I want to read you a scripture this morning because it sounds like all of these experiences that that I can distinctly remember from my childhood and even into my adulthood is something that would cause maybe hurt or discomfort in my life. But listen to this, and, and uh, Rach, if you can come and join me. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything you do, be careful to treat others in the same way you'd want them to treat you. In the same way... Be careful to treat others the same way you would want them to treat you. You know what I've realized as I've got older? I've realized that all the experiences that I've had growing up that could have been perceived as detrimental to my life have actually been the thing that has helped me understand what I want in life. And when we find out what we want in life, we can think that that revelation is all about us. But friends, the revelation that Jesus wants you to have this morning is that when you discover what you want in life, you've just discovered his purpose for putting you on this earth. Not so that you can pursue that thing for what you can gain from it, but so that you can be that thing for others. So I'm releasing you this morning from a tight rope of discovering God's purpose to just say, do you know what you want? If you know what you want, God has told you what you're on this earth for. Go and do whatever you want. See, we live in a world where people do what they want for their own gain. Jesus is saying, well, in the same world, you go and do whatever you want for the gain of others. I love this. When you discover what you want, you have also discovered what God wants you to do for others. You know what you can't control? You can't control what others do, but you can control what you do. When we planted our church in Moree, and just getting ready to land this this morning, when we planted that church in Maury, we'd come back to Coffs Harbour for services and we didn't have a house then. We'd completely moved our family over. And so between our morning service and our evening service at Lifehouse in Coffs, we'd often, we create a bit of a tradition to going to a particular friend's house for lunch. And I'd always be last to get there because I'd find myself always kind of just being the last to leave the, uh, the service environment. And whenever I'd get there, I'd always 
find myself bringing along someone to that lunch who kind of also happened to be the last person that was at the service as well. And it's only been in the last couple of years that I've realized the revelation has sunk in my heart that the reason why I will so often be the last to be in an environment and so often the reason why I will bring someone who seems to have nowhere else to fit along with me to that space of inclusiveness is because I've been that person. And so it could be seen in my life as something that was an insecurity, but now I realize that wasn't an insecurity at all. That was God shaping me to be the person that he has designed. So many times I said, God, please remove this thing from my life. God's saying, I'm not going to remove it from you. I'm going to reveal myself in it. Friend, when you discover what you want, you are in the prime position for God to use you on this earth for whatever he wants. So what is our way? Our way is a simple one. And that is we take whatever it is that we know of God's goodness in our life and we see that where we go, you know what I want? I want, to, I want someone to live with kindness towards me. Well, you know what, friend? You've just discovered your purpose for being on this earth is to show kindness to others. This is so simple. You say, you know what? I, I, want, I just want people to be forgiving towards me. Friend, you've just discovered your purpose on this earth is to be forgiving towards others. What do you want? You want people on this earth to bring peace into your world. You know what? You've just discovered your purpose for being on this earth, and that is to be a peace bringer into people's worlds. You want people to come into your world that are full of hope, you know, full of, full of life, full of positivity. Well, you know what, friend? You've just discovered your purpose. It's not so that you can stand there and have people come and bring hope to you. You're the hope bringer. You say, I want people to be generous. I want people to be kind. I want people to bring joy. I want, to, I want people to be a blessing to me. That's great that you've discovered that. Now you can go be that. And this is as simple as it is to outwork the understanding. What's the way of the church? The way of the church is a, pe- is a group of people that are completely free to do whatever they want. Not for their own gain, but for the gain of the world that God has placed us in. Philippians chapter 2, and I'll end with this scripture. So I'm asking you, my dear friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart and one passion, united in one love, one way. Walk together with one harmonious purpose. There's one way. It's one. It's all one. I'm asking you. One heart, one passion, one love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. Be authentic in humility. In, in authentic humility, sorry. Put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. Friends, that might look like a back way of living life, but that is the way of freedom that Christ has for you. As you live out that, you will discover that's the way that Jesus Christ lived. And Jesus Christ never lived with a burden in his soul. He lived with a freedom in his soul. And that's the way God intends for you and I to live as well.
Amen. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your word to us today. Your word always meets us right where we are at, but it never leaves us there. I thank you for meeting each one of us today. Lord, from the youngest in this room, Lord, to the most senior, you have met us today. And God, you have arrested our hearts. And Jesus, I pray that your spirit right now is speaking into the life of every single person in this place. Lord, Jesus, just revealing again what we want in this life. But now, bringing a twist with it, Lord, to start to help our eyes to see not the way we can go about pursuing that thing, but Lord, helping us to see how we can go and be that very thing to the lives of those around us. Lord, there are people in here this morning that are living in a, in a place of hurt, in a place of brokenness. God, I ask today that your miracle working power would start to do a work in that space, Lord, that as the healing comes, Jesus, that these people would see that this is not going to be the testimony of failure in their life. It's actually going to be the testimony of grace in their life. And it's going to be the greatest opportunity that they have to reveal your love to a world through them. God, for the people in this room this morning that have done things in their life, in their past that just keep, just seems to keep reaching out and grabbing hold. The past just keeps grabbing on and pulling them back, grabbing on. Lord, I pray today that those people would start to see their past not as the anchor to destruction, Lord God, but the, the very thing that you're going to use to propel them into their future, the testimony of grace and love and power that can only come through you. Jesus, there are people in this room today and they're looking at the lack in their life. They're looking at their financial situation. They're looking at the state of their spirit and they're seeing lack. They're seeing poverty. God, that these people today, Lord Jesus, that regardless of where they are at in a, in, a, in a financial sense or where their spirit is right now, Lord, I pray that you would come into that space. And as you are revealing to them what they actually want, that, Lord, that no longer would there be a pursuit of those things for their own personal benefit, but rather, Lord, that there would be a great desire to be that for others that are feeling the same way. Just ask you to remain with your eyes closed for one moment because there is no doubt people here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ the way that I've spoken about him today. I made mention at one point in that message that Jesus chose to put himself in that, on that cross. And, you know, we've just celebrated Easter. And sometimes we can look at what took place through Easter and we can see that, you know, it was other humans, like it was the Romans and it was the Jews that made that happen. But friend, as you read on in the New Testament, you realize more and more that this was Jesus's choice. In fact, he stood before Pilate and, he, and Pilate said, don't you realize I've got the power to condemn you or to release you? And Jesus says, you've got no authority. <laughs> Jesus put himself in that place of death for you and I. Why? So that in his burial, in his death, that wherever you are at right now, wherever your life is right now, you need to know this. The death of Jesus is the representation that he has been lower. Whatever hurt you're carrying, he's experienced more. Whatever frustration you're carrying, he's experienced more. Whatever separation you feel like you're carrying from God, he's experienced more. Whatever doubt that you're carrying, he's experienced more. He has gone deeper into any pit of despair that you have ever been in. He has gone deeper. Why? Because he knew what was coming and that was a resurrection. And the reason why Jesus went deeper is so that when he rose from the grave, he could collect every single one of us who feel like we are living in a depth right now along the way to victory. 
Friend, Jesus doesn't have despair for you, destruction for you. He has got victory for you. And in this place, you may not yet know him. And if that's you this morning, then as City Church, we would love to introduce you to him today. The Bible says, well, this is the most simple part of it. It says you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus actually did rise from the grave. And then you will begin to know the fullness of life that he came to give. But that's now the part that is in your court. I said earlier, you can't hold him up. Your love for him isn't the defining factor. It's all about what he's done. And yet there's this one part in it where you take a step forward. And I wonder if there is anyone that wants to make that step today. If you're here this morning and you would say, you know what? I I realize that I've been living separate from God. And today I want to make that decision to give my life to him. If that's you this morning, I would love to lead you in the most simplest prayer that expresses what I've already said in words, yet in a conversation with the living God. If that's you today, then wherever you are right across this place, I'm going to ask you in a moment to raise your hand. And the reason why we do that is because that's like an external expression, as I said before, of what's going on in our hearts. We say, yep, that's me today. I'm raising my hand. I'm coming to this moment where I want to pray this prayer and give my life to Jesus. When we pray the prayer, we're all going to pray it together. You're not going to be singled out. But there is a moment where I'm asking you to say, yeah, that's me. So, hey, if that's you this morning, regardless of where you're sitting, regardless of your age or stage in life, if you know that Jesus Christ is here and he's calling you today and you're saying, I'm responding, then I'd, in, in just this moment right now, wherever you are, why don't you raise your hand and say, yeah, that's me. Just put your hand straight in the air. Fantastic. See the hand right in the middle there? You can put your hand down. Just give me a chance to see your hand if you do raise it. Sensational. Yes, thank you, sir. Over to my right. You can put your hand down. Thank you. You're not responding to me. I'll just make that clear. This is a response to God, and he's celebrating. The Bible literally says all of heaven erupts in praise when one person who's yet to know the love of God comes to know him. Is there anyone else this morning that wants to respond and say, yeah, that's me today? I won't prolong this moment, but if you have not yet raised your hand and you want to, why don't you do that? right now. So good. So good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Okay. City Church, can I ask you to stand to your feet with me this morning? We're going to pray. And I'll ask that you repeat these words after me. And especially for those that raised their hand this morning, you're going to hear voices around you saying the same prayer. These people have prayed this prayer countless times in an environment just like this. It's like every time they say it, it's like the first time they've ever said it. They're saying it with joy-filled hearts and, and, and so excited for the step that you're taking today. So why don't you open your mouth with boldness as you pray and, uh, and receive the life-giving relationship that God has for you. Start by saying with me the name that makes it all possible. Say this, say, Jesus, thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for your love, your grace, your kindness, your sacrifice. I receive all of that today. I turn away from my own life, the life that leads to destruction. And I turn to you, a life filled with hope and purpose. Jesus, today I make you my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for what you have for me in my future to bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name, amen.
Holy Spirit, I thank you for those that raised their hand today. May they know the power that comes from a life that has you alive on the inside. Holy Spirit, for those that have uh, also prayed that prayer and maybe did not raise their hand with sincerity, Lord, they prayed with sincerity. God, you know them more than they even know themselves. Jesus, do a work in each one of these people's lives that makes it so clear, undoubtable to them, that you have now entered a space that was once dark and you've brought great light into that space. Lord, today, tomorrow when they wake up, this week ahead, bring people around them, Lord, that can help them discover more and more how good you are and how kind you've been to them. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we put our hands together and encourage those guys that have done that. And let's just sing this song together.